As we conclude our series, Gaining a Heart for God on the Life of David, I want us to deal with an important subject for all of us. If we are truly going to gain a heart for God, we will need to let go of past hurt. And apparently, this can be a problem. Many people choose to just hold a grudge for years. Others seek revenge. In doing a quick internet search, I discovered a site that will help you get revenge. It lists many ideas for getting even, most cruel or gross pranks, but it also offers to help you get revenge. For $24.99, they will send a dozen dead wilted roses. The ad says, quote, Nothing says quite how you feel like roses, dead roses. Or also for $24.99, they can send just a dozen rose stems for the person who isn't even worthy of the dead flowers. The site has a variety of dead flower arrangements to send. Or you can send a box of melted chocolates. Or for $19.95, you can send a dead, smelly fish. Yes, a dead fish. The ad says, imagine their face when they receive a stinky, smelly, dead fish. Or for only $2.99, you can buy a brightly colored sticker to place on their door for all of their neighbors to see that announces either that their house has been condemned by the board of health or that they are being evicted. When someone makes their living helping people get revenge, letting go of past hurts must be a problem in our society but it isn't a new problem. Today, we're going to look at an event from the life of David that you may not have noticed before. It begins during one of the worst times of David's life. If you were here last weekend, Pastor Bill talked some about it. In case you weren't here, let me catch you up. David has been king for many years. His son Absalom grows in popularity, and Absalom decides that he should be king. And he's sneaky about it, and he pretends to be loyal to David at first, but ultimately, he begins a rebellion and works to take the kingdom away from his father. When it becomes clear that Absalom will succeed, David decides to flee from Jerusalem with his family and with the people who were loyal to him. It's a sad and a horrible situation as a dad is betrayed by his son. And as if this situation isn't painful enough, look what happens as David is leaving the city. I'll read from 2 Samuel 16, verses 5 through 8. As King David approached Baharim, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shimei, son of Gera. And he cursed as he came out. He pelted David and all the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guards were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shimei said, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. 
Now, Shimei was loyal to the previous king, and he expressed his hatred towards the leader that replaced him. Does that sound familiar? Sounds a little bit like American politics to me. But what Shimei said wasn't really true. David hadn't shed the blood of Saul's family. But Shimei was kicking him when he was down. And I mean, as David was fleeing from the country because his son is trying to take over the kingdom, Shimei attacked him by throwing stones and cursing David. It was quite literally adding insult to injury. Has that ever happened to you? I don't mean someone comes along and tries to pelt you with stones, but I mean, have you ever been unfairly attacked? Maybe someone attacked you verbally. Perhaps they attacked your character or your family or your motives. Whatever it was, you felt attacked by their words. Maybe someone attacked you physically. Perhaps you suffered abuse at the hands of someone you knew or were physically attacked by a stranger. Maybe somebody attacked you spiritually. Perhaps they ridiculed your faith or belittled your service for God. And perhaps they intentionally tried to lead you into sin or to make you look foolish because of your faith. Has that ever happened to you? I am sure someone at some point has attacked you. And if I'm right, you are thinking of that situation right now. The picture of that person's face has just flashed into your mind. And maybe you hadn't thought of it for years, but the memory has just resurfaced. We all have had something happen to us that allows us to identify with David. And it may have happened a few weeks ago or maybe a few years ago, but it hurt. And it still hurts. So how do we let go of past hurt? Unfortunately, David didn't do the greatest job of letting go. Before we look at how to let go of past hurts, I'll tell you the story of David and Shimei as we answer the question, what keeps us from letting go of past hurts? What keeps us from letting go of past hurts? Let me quickly point out four barriers that we see in the life of David, and probably you will recognize some of them in your own life. The first barrier is rationalizing hurt. Rationalizing hurt. David and his men are leaving town, and Shimei is throwing stones and insulting David, and Abishai, one of David's men, says, why should we let this man curse the king? Let me go cut off his head. Abishai is going to take care of the situation. But David says no. Then look at what he says next in verses 10 and, uh, through 12. He says, if he is cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask, why do you do this? David then said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, who is of my own flesh, is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse. For the Lord has told him to. I'm, it may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. 
David rationalizes this hurt that he's receiving in a number of ways. First, he says, maybe God told him to hurt me. Maybe it was God that told him to curse me. And then he says, you know, my son wants to kill me, so you can't really blame this guy, can you? Last, he says, maybe God will bless me if I put up with this cursing. How do we rationalize hurts? Well, like David, some blame it on God. They say, maybe God wants this, or maybe it's God's will. And it's true, God wants us to stay faithful during bad times, but he doesn't bring ungodly, evil things into our life. Some rationalize the abuse they endure because they think that somehow they've done something that they deserve it. And many people put up with the hurt of abuse or unfaithfulness because they convince themselves that their abuser just had a bad day or just can't help it. I've seen people spend years enduring abuse and making excuses for family members who are hurting them. And you will never let go of past hurt if you rationalize it. The second barrier is poor boundaries. Poor boundaries. Look at verse 13. So David and his men continued along the road while Shimei was going along the hillside opposite him, cursing as he went and throwing stones at him and showering him with dirt. David is still leaving town, but uh, he has an army with him. He wasn't without options. He could draw some boundaries. He could say, you either stop it right now or this guy's going to come up and cut off your head. How many times do we let someone keep showering us with dirt? We just let them keep showering us with dirt. We fail to set up boundaries that are necessary to end the problem. Let me say clearly, if your spouse is hitting you at home, leave or make them leave. I'm not saying that you run out and get a divorce, but I am saying draw a boundary. Say it's not okay, get some help to make it stop. Sometimes the dirt that is showered upon us isn't physical abuse, and if you are being verbally abused or continue to put up with the same hurt over and over again, uh, and uh, same hurt and injury from someone who keeps promising to change, draw a boundary, get some help. By the way, notice that, that David's poor boundaries resulted in the people with him being showered with dirt also. When you fail to draw a proper boundary, others are negatively affected too, often your spouse or your kids. The third barrier is uh, common, and it's huge, and it's fake forgiveness. Fake forgiveness. Let me tell you what happens next in the story. Absalom is crowned king for a time, but then he dies in battle. And after his death, the people ask David to come back and be their king. Now, this is a problem for some of the people. Many people have said bad things against 
David because they thought that he was done. And some took Absalom's side in the rebellion. But now David is returning to Jerusalem as king. And it was common practice at that time to go out and meet the king as he comes into your area. They would go all the way to the border to welcome the king back. And so his supporters go down to meet him. But several of the people who were against David go out too. Look at the passage from 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, uh, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. When Shimei, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king. And he said to him, May the Lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant uh, did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Shimei actually does something pretty healthy here. He comes out to meet David and he begs him for forgiveness. He knows that he's in trouble, but he hopes that taking the initiative will help. He, he also probably hopes that doing it in front of a crowd of people will work in his favor. But David's soldier, Abishai, is there. And he again says, let me kill him. He cursed the Lord's anointed. That's interesting language. That probably indicates that Abishai was one of the guys in the cave when David refused to kill King Saul because Saul was the Lord's anointed. And so Abishai says, let me kill him. He cursed the Lord's anointed. But David says no again. Look at verse 23, 22 and 23. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I not know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him an oath. This seems so good. It seems so right. It seems so forgiving. David seems to forgive Shimei here. He looks pretty good to the people. But write this down. Controlling your bitterness isn't the same as forgiving someone. Controlling your bitterness isn't the same as forgiving someone. Controlling your bitterness and anger is better than doing nothing, but it doesn't resolve the problem. Only real forgiveness brings true and uh, lasting relief from bitterness and from anger. Now, how do I know that David didn't really forgive? That becomes apparent in another passage of Scripture. There we see that David also struggled with one more barrier of letting go of past hurt, and that's ongoing bitterness. Ongoing bitterness. Fast forward to David's deathbed. Just before he dies, David is giving Solomon, his son, his blessing as the next king, and he's giving him some advice to help him as he assumes the throne. And he said several things, but then he says this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahram, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanim. When he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now, do not consider him innocent 
You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. Wow. According to this passage, these are actually the very last words we ever know David said. The words we just read are his very last words, according to the passage. You see, David may have pretended to forgive, but the bitterness never left him. He continued to hold the grudge and to hold on to the hurt for the rest of his life. And one of his final acts was an act of revenge against Shimei. Let me just ask, is there someone that you have faked forgiving? You said that the problem was solved, but inside of you, the bitterness and the anger is still brewing. It may be the person whose face came into your mind a little earlier. Your ongoing bitterness is an absolute roadblock to so many things. It's a barrier to letting go of past hurt, but it's also a barrier to real joy in life and to real spiritual growth. Hear me clearly, your bitterness is a barrier to a close and growing relationship with Jesus. So that brings us to the main question. How can I let go of past hurts? How can I let go of past hurts? Let me spend the rest of our time dealing with this important question. I won't have time to cover it completely, but if uh, you need it, I can provide you with an entire message series that I preached several years ago on forgiveness. But look at this scripture from Colossians chapter 3. You must make allowances for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The passage is a great one, and it's so true, but it still leaves us with questions. How? How can I forgive when the hurt is so bad? How can I really forgive this time when it happens over and over and over? How can I let go of past hurt? Let me give you three keys and talk briefly about each one. First, I must admit my hurt. I must admit my hurt. Now, this is so simple, but it is really easy for us to miss. If you're going to let go of the hurt, you must admit that it hurt. You've got to admit that it hurt. Letting go of the hurt doesn't excuse it. It doesn't say it's okay, and it's absolutely okay to say, that really hurt me. Even if the people around you or the person who caused the hurt doesn't think it should hurt or they didn't mean to hurt you, it's okay for you to say and for you to admit that you really felt hurt when it happened. Now, this is key, and it's, this key is really important if you are struggling with depression because hurt and bitterness and anger are almost always what is underneath depression. Depression is often anger turned inward. Sometimes depression comes because we can't stand to admit that someone we love so much has hurt us so deeply. It's our kids who 
totally abuse our love for them and they keep taking advantage and treating us terribly knowing that we will love them no matter what. It's the person that you committed your entire life to in marriage who believes that they can mistreat you because they know you're never going to leave them. You see, admitting your hurt might help your depression, and it's necessary as a step to letting go of your hurt. Secondly, I must change my focus. I must change my focus. When we hold on to hurt, when we refuse to forgive, it's usually because we have the wrong perspective or the wrong focus on the situation that hurt us. Let me suggest a few areas where our focus should change. First, our focus should change from justice to grace. When we have been hurt, we almost always want to focus on justice. We want to focus on what's fair. We want to focus on what's right. And the person who hurts us deserves to be punished for what they did wrong. And while that's true, the interesting thing is that when you hurt someone else, we almost always focus on grace. And mercy, we want the person to forgive us, to understand the situation, to give us grace. And true growth and healing happens when we reverse that, when we focus on what we deserve, when we hurt someone, and when we sin. When that happens, we appreciate the grace of God more. And people who receive grace and mercy should become people of grace and mercy. People who have been forgiven should forgive. And David had received grace in huge ways. God didn't strike him dead or take away his kingdom when he sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba or when he had her husband killed. So how could he have received so much grace and yet held on to his bitterness? Well, I think his focus was wrong. His focus was on justice, not grace. Justice, not grace. You and I have received grace in huge ways. God hasn't struck us dead because of our sin. He has forgiven us over and over and over again for some of the same sins. And many people in our lives have shown us grace beyond what we deserve. And only by focusing on justice instead of grace could we ever justify holding on to bitterness. And if we're following Jesus, even that won't work. Even that won't work. Secondly, our focus should change from frustration to freedom. This is the interesting thing for me. All those years, David is seething with frustration and bitterness against Shimei. And during those years, when he's seething with bitterness, what is Shimei doing? Apparently, he's just been enjoying life. He's just been living his life. Maybe he's even been appreciating and bragging about the grace that he received from David. You see, his... His life wasn't negatively affected by David's bitterness all of those years. Have you realized yet that when you choose to hold on to a hurt, you choose to be frustrated and to give up your freedom to live life and enjoy it? 
When you change your focus from frustration to freedom, you become determined to free yourself from the bondage and the slavery refusing to forgive creates in your life. Third, our focus should change from what they should do to what I should do. What they should do to what I should do. This is similar to the first one we talked about, but many people hold on to their hurts because they're waiting for the person who hurt them to apologize or to acknowledge the hurt. And the person uh, did wrong, so they should make it right. And you wait and you wait and you wait for them to do the right thing. How's that working for you? My guess is that you have waited a long time and will continue to wait. I know I've waited a long time. Haven't received some of those apologies that I think I deserve. But instead, my focus needs to be not on what they should do, but what I should do. I can take steps to let go of the hurt, even if the other person never does the right thing. That brings us to the last key for letting go of hurt. And that is, I must work my process. I must work my process. Forgiving and letting go of hurt isn't a quick and easy thing. It is a process. And the process may be a little different for each one of us, but let me point out a five-step process. The first step is this, making the decision. The process starts when I make the decision to forgive. Please note, forgiveness is a decision of the mind. It's a decision I make, not a feeling I feel. I make a mental decision to release my right to hurt you because you hurt me. And I decide I'm going to forgive them whether they deserve it or not, whether they ask for forgiveness or not. And this step may take a few minutes or it may take a few years, but the process doesn't start until you take this step. Step two is praying for help. The process isn't going to be easy, and you don't have to do it alone. God has promised to help you do all of the things that he asked you to do, and forgiving is one of those things that he's asked you to do. So ask God to help you override what you feel so that you can do the right thing. Ask him to take away any bitterness in your heart. Ask him to help you begin to think in a godly way about the person that hurt you. Number three, determine your approach, determine the approach. This step can be very different for each situation and you may want to talk to some spiritual and godly people about how to do this. That might be a pastor, or it might be your growth group leader or a strong Christian friend or you might even need to see a Christian counselor and ask them to help you figure out what the best way is for you to deal with your specific forgiveness issue. You may need to talk to the person that hurt you face to face, or maybe not. You might be able to restore the relationship, but not always. And often forgiving requires setting boundaries to make sure that you aren't hurt in the same way. So get some help from wise people and figure out how you will proceed. And one of the things that you need to figure out when you're determining an approach is what kind of forgiveness is needed. I've listed two kinds of forgiveness. The first kind of forgiveness is what they did forgiveness. 
When someone cuts me off on the parkway or a person uh, bagging my groceries puts a gallon of milk on top of a, a loaf of bread and squishes it, I need to forgive what they did. These types of hurts might also deal with your kids carelessly scratching your car or your spouse forgetting your birthday. This type of forgiveness might also deal with huge hurts. Hurts like rape or someone getting drunk and killing someone you love in a traffic accident. Now, even in really painful situations, I think what they did forgiveness is the easiest to extend. The second type of forgiveness is who they are forgiveness. Who they are forgiveness. This is forgiving the person for who they are. You don't just forgive their action, but you, forget, you forgive them for being who and what they are. You forgive the drunk for being an alcoholic. You forgive the terrorist for being a terrorist. You forgive the unfaithful spouse for being an adulterer. You forgive your parents for being impossible to please or your spouse for being cold and insensitive. Now, please understand, you still don't excuse the crime or the hurt. Forgiving them for who they are doesn't say it's okay for them to be that or to do what they did. You just forgive them for being who they are. You basically change your expectation. You stop expecting them to suddenly become a nice person who does the right thing. Unfortunately, many times they don't change because they have let that become who they are. I've reduced my hurt and made forgiving easier in many cases by just admitting to myself who the person who hurt me really is, what they really are, and that I probably won't change that, but I can forgive that. I can forgive who they are. The one thing to for, it's one thing to forgive a person for what they did. It's another to forgive them for who they are. We have to move on, but determining the process is an important step. The next one is stopping the hostility. Stopping the hostility. This one's the easiest to state here but it's probably the hardest to do. It basically means you stop telling the story. You stop talking bad about the person that you have decided to forgive. Truly forgiving a person means I don't have the right to badmouth them anymore. It means I begin to see them like Jesus sees them. It means the battle stops. We end the hostility and we stop telling the story. Once forgiveness has taken place, we have no right to continue the hostility. And then the fifth step is repeating the process. I hate this one. I do. I hate it because it acknowledges the truth. Most likely, even when you have gone through the process and you sincerely meant it when you made the decision to forgive, at some point, you are going to slip back into your bitterness and you're going to have to work the process again. Maybe, maybe David had sincerely forgiven Shimei at some point, but he let that bitterness creep back in, and it was apparent on his deathbed that he hadn't finished forgiving. That happens to me, too. It happens to me, too. I think I've forgiven, and the hurt just 
flows into my heart again, and I have to start the process all over again. Some of you are there. This forgiveness stuff isn't easy, but can I tell you it's worth it? It isn't easy, but it's worth it. The freedom we find when we admit our hurt and when we change our focus and when we work our process of letting go of hurt, it's worth all of the hard work. It gives us freedom. It helps us to become like Jesus. And I know it's hard, but it's worth it because it helps us gain a heart for God. Let me pray for you, can I? Heavenly Father, when we talk about hurt, it just is so apparent that the room is full of hurting people. And Father, we thank you that you are the God of comfort and the Father of mercies, that you are always there to help us through the difficult times. But Father, as hurting people, we also know that hurting people hurt other people. And so, Father, forgive us for the times when we've refused to forgive. Forgive us for the times, Father, when our refusal to set boundaries or to forgive has caused dirt to rain down on other people around us and people that we love and care about have suffered because we haven't let go of past hurts. Father, we're praying right now for your help with forgiving. God, help us override what we feel so we can do what's right. God, take away any bitterness in our hearts. God, help us to begin to think in a godly way about the person that hurt us. Father, we want you to bless that person, to bring good into their life, to bring healing into their heart as you bring healing into our heart. And Father, thank you that you forgive us because we don't deserve it. We deserve your rejection and your anger and your wrath. We deserve to be punished for all eternity because we've failed to live up to your standards. Father, thank you so much that your mercies are new every morning, that every day, every minute, we can come to you and find forgiveness, not just for what we did, but for who we are. And Father, we thank you for your grace and we invite you to change us into the person you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.